Cairo, Seattle. And this is Your Last Meal, a show about famous people and the stories behind the foods they love most. Today on the program, best-selling cookbook author Allison Roman. Allison is everywhere these days. She has been zipping around not only the country, but the entire world. Okay, Toronto and London, but still, that's not in this country. She's been on book tour for her new cookbook, Nothing Fancy, which is already a New York Times bestseller. And you can see her signature orange red lips and matching nail polish on seemingly every magazine, TV show, newspaper, and podcast, including mine. Hello. Now, this is Allison's second best-selling cookbook. Her first baby is Dining In, and she also writes food columns for The New York Times and Bon Appetit magazine. And I think that Allison is responsible for getting a whole new generation excited about food and cooking. She's young. She's sassy. These are things that old people say. I am really dating myself here. <laughs> she's also very opinionated. She has a lot of hot takes on food, including uh, the fact that she thinks pumpkin pie is a disgusting thing and should never be baked again. She likes what she likes, and she wants you to like it, too. She also does a really good job on the Instagram. Again, I am very old. What is happening in this intro? Allison is famous for two recipes in particular. These two recipes went crazy viral. Yeah, I know what that means, despite the fact that I'm 80. These recipes went super viral, and fans basically created hashtagable nicknames for them. First was the cookie. The cookies are a salted butter chocolate chunk shortbread cookie. I mean, honestly, I had no idea that it was going to take off the way that it did, but it did. And it's just a really good cookie. And then there is the stew. I don't know what the official recipe title is anymore. Oh, because people now just call it the stew. But there's chickpeas that are cooked in some ginger and garlic and onion. And then it gets coconut milk added to it, turmeric, and then dark leafy greens. And finish with some more yogurt. Now, I've made the stew. It is good. It is very good. But it is not what we're here to talk about today. Today, we get to talk about one of the most delicious things in the whole wide world. One of my very, very favorite foods. Today, we talk about New York pizza. And we will actually get an answer to the age-old question. Why can't you get good pizza or bagels outside of New York City? Now, any New Yorker will tell you it's all about the water. But is it? Is it really? So it is all about the water, or it is a lot about the water. Paul Irigo owns New York Watermaker, a company that can convert any tap water in the world into New York City tap water. Yeah, no, this is a real thing. He did it for Tony Diuto. Tony is a pizza restaurateur in New York who struggled to create the same pies when he opened a place in California. We will hear lots from both of these guys later in the show. But first, my chat with Allison Roman. Allison's new book, Nothing Fancy, is all about cooking for friends and family. But she is very clear that she does not like the word entertaining. It's too loaded. It's too much pressure. She prefers having people over. The word entertaining really freaks people out. I think that that makes you feel like you have to have matching plates, the correct amount of chairs, and have things on time and everything needs to be hot and it stresses people out. It's like not a comforting word, you know, especially if it doesn't come easy to you. Um, I feel like when people suggest entertaining, it's like, oh, people are going to come into my house and they're going to judge me for like my cooking abilities or my furniture choices or 
a million other things. And I feel like having people over is just immediately more casual and immediately more relaxing because you're just inviting people into your house. The book is kind of a choose-your-own-adventure, depending on how comfortable you are with cooking and how tired you are that night. So you could just make a couple of dips, or you could set up a fully stocked baked potato bar, which I plan on doing at some point. Or you can cook a big piece of meat and serve it with a lemony salad. Lemons and anchovies show up a lot in her recipes. Or you can just order a pizza and make your own salad to go with it. Whatever it takes to get people around your table. So the last time you had people over, what did you make? Um, I made a big ham. My mom was in town and I had some friends over on Sunday and I made like a giant smoked ham, which I mean, I didn't make it. I bought the ham and then I, I heated it in the oven and then I served it with a bunch of like rolls and like tiny pickles and mustards because we had been traveling over the weekend. So it was sort of like a, an opportunity to like do like a semi homemade thing where I made these really beautiful beans and I made a really good salad, but everything else was kind of store-bought and thrown together on the table and everybody loved it. It was great. So I eat out so much and a few years ago I ate out even more. And so having friends over or going to someone's house was the novelty. That was more exciting than going out. And it was happening so infrequently that when someone actually invited me over for dinner, I was just like, yes. And I think there's something that happens at home that doesn't happen in a restaurant. Like, first of all, you linger longer because you don't have to leave. Um, You're not worried about spending money. There's not that end of the meal having to do the check, which I just don't really like that part of the meal. No, it's the worst. Um, And I feel like you have different conversations. Like, you can move into the living room after you're at the table. Like, things are just different. There's a different vibe. Yeah, it's not loud, which it usually, I mean, depending on the household. Yeah. Uh, and you're you're not with a, in a room with a bunch of strangers, right? Like, it's just you and a couple folks who you know and you like, and you get to hang out in, in a place, and it's just you guys. It's a lot more intimate. I think a lot more special. I'm trying to do what Allison is preaching, which is not take it too seriously, because I always think I have to make something really good, and then... I'll go over to a friend's house. She has a couple of little kids and they'll just have the most basic dinner. It's like rice, some steamed broccoli and some chicken. And it's fine. Right. It's not that great, but I don't care. Like, I just like being there and I appreciate that someone cooked for me. So I need to think about that when I am doing my own, not entertaining, but having people over. I had someone over last night. I made a green curry and then I kept apologizing that the curry wasn't thick enough. You just got to let it go, man. Got to stop telling people that your food isn't good when they're eating it. Okay, so time for a quick break. But when we come back, Allison Roman reveals her last meal. All right, so it's time for the big question. Allison Roman, what do you want for your last meal? Mm, either like a really crispy piece of pizza, like a slice of pizza, or like a really crispy roast chicken. So crispy is key. Love the crispy food. So what's your perfect piece of pizza? Does it come from somewhere or is it something you make yourself? Oh, I would never make it myself unless I was making like uh, like a cheater's sort of like grandma style focaccia pizza or something like that. But um, the kind of pizza I'm talking about is like, a New York style slice. They reheat in the oven and it gets really, really crispy and the little pieces of cheese kind of get burned at the ends, and the crust gets really crispy, almost burned. Like, I love that. There's a lot of places in New York that I like. There's not necessarily one place, but 
you know, in my head, I, I know what that pizza tastes like and I want it right now. <laughs> <laughs> Is it the classic slice with like the grease on top that you fold? Oh, yeah. Are you a folder? Oh, definitely not a folder. I will towards the end, but I don't believe that like a pizza should droop. I don't think you should ever need to fold. I don't like the folding either because then the pizza is gone half as fast and I want to eat like a bigger surface area of pizza. Yeah, exactly. And I don't like it when the cheese gets removed from the sauce. Like otherwise you're basically making a pizza sandwich and that's not what I'm here for. And you're from California, but you've lived in New York for a while. Do you feel now that you take New York pizza for granted because it's around all the time or do you still know how good you have it? I definitely know how good I have it. I'm that is not lost on me. Can you name a couple of your favorite places that you've been into lately? Yeah, I love um, I love Scars Pizza. I love South Brooklyn Pizza. I love Upside Pizza. Um, Joe's is great, classic. There's a there's a ton. Allison Roman's last meal is a slice of New York pizza. If you've had it, then you get it. The gushing that people do over a slice of New York pizza is not hyperbole. It is a true, magical experience. When I go to New York, I make pizza a huge priority. Actually, it was when uh, we went for the James Beard Awards. (laughs) To that little thing, uh, I planned a pizza walking tour. (laughs) uh, And I eat a lot of it when I'm there. Just drop some of my favorites, in case anyone's wondering. I love Prince Street. I love Defara. I love Joe's on Bleecker. I really love Prince Street. I know I already said it, but it's so good. But what defines a New York slice? What are its characteristics? How would you explain it? Well, I'm going to let my two New York pizza guys explain. Paul Arrigo is president of New York Watermaker. And Tony Dayuto owns four pizza-centric restaurants. Levante in Long Island City, Queens. Luzzo's BK in Brooklyn Heights, LBK in Park Slope, Brooklyn, and LBK in Studio City, Los Angeles. A New York pizza should be able to stand up on its own. So you pick it up, you can fold it. There should be a slight crunch. When you fold it, you can hear it crack a little bit. Literally, when you take out your pizza slice, your triangle, you can hold it and it can stick straight out. When you take a bite of it, you can hear the crunch. But The next layer has to be airy. The dough itself cannot be too dense. It can't be dry. It has to have a sponginess to it. All this is the basis that supports a good layer, a very thin layer of tomato sauce. For me, the perfect tomato sauce is, like we use in my restaurants, just fresh tomatoes, canned, hand-milled, a little bit of salt, olive oil, and that's it, raw. It cooks in the oven with the pizza. A lot of pizzerias, they buy these canned sauces already reduced, and they add oregano and dried onion powder and garlic powder, and they cook it for hours. And what you do is you just you just destroy the fresh brightness of the tomato. And on top of that, a properly proportioned amount of mozzarella. In my case, I, I mean, I don't mind the shredded mozzarella, but I prefer the um, the fresh mozzarella. You know, when you when you watch commercials and you see all these things from Domino's and people eat the middle and they leave the crust and they're doing crazy things to make people eat the crust, like filling it with cheese and stuff. In New York City, you never see anybody leave the crust. Everybody eats every last and it's basically the best part. Tony grew up working in his family's pizzerias and Italian restaurants since he was 13 years old. He loved the kitchen and he loved food. Then I went, I you know, got older. I went to school. I went to all the different colleges, got all my degrees, practiced law, and then I after a a pretty good law career, I said, you know what? I want to get back into the business. So about 12 years ago, I decided enough's enough. And I came back into the the restaurant business on my own, as opposed to having worked for family. I decided to venture off on my own. 
I was excited to talk to you because you have this rare and unique experience where you've been making pizza in New York for a long time, and then you tried to make it all the way on the West Coast in California. And for years, all that you hear, my mom's from Brooklyn, and my whole childhood, it's like, it's the water, it's the water. And it's like, is it the water? Is this an urban legend? So (laughs) what did you discover when you tried to open a pizza restaurant on the West Coast? Well, I mean, truth be told... There, there are a lot of different elements that make a good New York pizza. Water is definitely important. And for people who don't believe that's the case, you know, try washing your hair in a place that has very hard water versus very soft water. I mean, the results are totally different. New York has classic soft water, one of the best waters in the United States, by the way. So that really does help our pizza. So about five or six years ago, I ventured out to LA looking for a location to open up to make pizza. And we had tried a few times and we couldn't get the quality that we wanted. Then I started using bottled water from L.A. Um, I found a bottled water that had the pH level very close to New York water. And the quality was good, but it was cost prohibitive to keep buying bottled water. Two years ago, I was at the Pizza Expo in Las Vegas, and I ran into these guys from, from New York. They were pitching this thing called the New York Water Maker. And it's a machine that takes the local water wherever you are and does some sort of voodoo to it. And what spits out is something very, very close to New York water. So finally, when we got this machine hooked up and running we were able to make pizza with the quality that we have in New York. So is it an urban legend? Perhaps. Is it definitely an important component in the baking process? Absolutely. Okay, so this just totally blew my mind. I've been hearing people say it's the water. I mean, since I was a little child, my entire life, people trying to justify why bagels and pizza are better in New York City. But I've never heard any actual science or any explanation or evidence of any kind to back it up. It's usually just people fetching about how bad bagels are everywhere outside of New York City. And I just want to say something here because I know he's going to send me a freaking message and complain about it. I just want to say that my buddy over at Rubenstein's Bagels in Seattle, he makes a really good bagel. I know you're listening, Andrew. Go visit him. His bagels are very good. Anyway, Tony discovered a company called New York Watermaker. I grew up in Brooklyn, New York, and then in Staten Island, New York. So I have always had an affinity, just like every New Yorker that's out there, to uh, New York pizza and bagels. That's Paul Arrigo again. Many years ago, I used to travel the country. I was on a plane three or four times a month. And no matter where I went, I could never find a good piece of pizza or a good bagel out there. But what happened is about 10 years ago or 12 years ago, I got into the water conservation and water filtration business. So it's not like we just came up with a couple of crazy people who said, hey, I want to make good pizza. The story is that we do own a fluids engineering company. We have science, we have technology. And the New York water maker was created. I was going on a business trip to Florida. And as I'm walking out the door at about 10 o'clock in the morning, our chief science officer basically stops me and says, hey, where are you going? And I said, uh, I have to go to Staten Island. I got to pick up some, uh, some bagels and bread before I go. I'll see my mom before I leave, you know. And he goes, why would you go pick up bagels and bread uh, before you go to Florida? He's from the Philippines. And I said, well, any good New Yorker that showed up to, to see family and friends down in Florida or anywhere down south without bagels and breads, they'd uh, basically uh, hang us, you know. And he immediately just said, is it because of the water? And I said, absolutely. That's exactly what it is. The water quality down there just doesn't match up with New York City. So he very casually said to me, why don't we just make a system to convert Florida water into New York City water? So along the science of what we do for these big filtration systems, do you realize how much of a business this is, what a need this uh, satisfies in the, in the culinary world? That's really how the New York water maker was born. Paul says New York City has some of the best quality water in the country. 
Now, other places might have slightly cleaner water or equally tasty water, but he says New York City tap water happens to be perfectly formulated for baking bread, bagels, and pizza crust. It affects how the gluten reacts in the dough, how the bread rises, and how the crust forms. It makes it a lot crispier and crunchier, uh, which doesn't happen when you have hard water or water that has a, a high TDS, which is total dissolved solids, which is, you know, just the solids that are in the water. It's the chlorine levels. It's the pH levels. New York City has a pH level that is pretty much consistently neutral, which is 7.0. All these different things change, but not so much the flavor. It's more of the texture of the way the dough is going to react, the fermentation time of the dough. Water plays a bigger part in pizza than you may think. Think about it this way. When you're making a pizza, a gourmet pizza has all the best ingredients. You got the best cheese. You got the best tomatoes. You got the best uh, mozzarella. The one item that most pizzerias just take for granted and cannot control is the water. They are basically limited to their tap water. You have to realize that uh, water is 60 to 70 percent of the product that they're serving when it comes to pizza. So right now they're working with pizzerias, bagel shops, bakeries. They're starting to work with coffee shops and breweries because you can imagine that, you know, there's a lot of water involved there. And these restaurants can pay $250 a month to license one of his machines. That works out to about $12 a day. Every system is customized. It's not something that anybody can buy, put on the wall and, hey, it's going to turn their Arizona water, Texas water, uh, Chicago water into New York water. We need to get a water sample break down, you know, what their water composition is. We customize our tank and it goes through the seven stage process to change the water. First, it goes through and it filters, it disinfects, uh, it softens the water. Then it actually gets hit with electronic resonator, which literally changes the frequency of the water molecule itself. And then it goes into the uh, tank, which is where we say our patent and the magic happens, which is where we convert all of the characteristics of pH, TDS, alkalinity, calcium levels, we, you know, customize taking their water and turning it into ideal water for pizza, bagels, breads, et cetera, whatever characteristics they want. And then it runs through a final carbon filtration to get out any remaining um, contaminants. And what comes out on the other side is the closest thing to New York City tap water that you're going to get outside of New York City. Tony says his California pizzas taste just like home. There is no difference. I mean, we're using just about the same pH level water, mineral content, it's, it's the same water for all intents and purposes. So I've had clients who live in New York move to LA and vice versa, and were astounded by the fact that they're tasting the same quality product that I had in New York or LA and back and forth. And you know, their, their response is, finally, we found something that's akin to New York pizza. Paul says there are about 30 cities in the country currently using his system. Florida and California have our biggest emotional connections. I guess that's really where most of the New Yorkers uh, transplant. And it is emotional. People are emotional about the foods that they grew up with. When you leave a part of the country and you go somewhere else, it becomes kind of fabled. I mean, ever since I left California, I've become even more obsessed with burritos. But I have to say, when I go back, they don't taste as good as I remember. No, we have this weird thing where I'm from called a panzerotti, hmm. which is like a deep fried calzone. Okay. And growing up, it was the greatest thing I had ever eaten in my life. Went back a couple years later after being here for a minute. Didn't live up to my memory. See, I don't know if it's just our taste buds maturing or if we've just put it on this high pedestal that right. can never be matched. But I don't know. I've never lived in New York, so the pizza always tastes really good to me. 
Can we talk about cheese? Because whenever I go to New York, I eat a lot of pizza, and I notice that the cheese is often different, especially if I go to Prince Street Pizza. The cheese is that really, really bright white instead of kind of the more yellowy cheese. Do you know why that is? Is it a different kind of cheese or different quality? Well, real pizza, when it came to this, when it was invented in Italy and then came to this country, they used fior di latte, which is a cow-based fresh cheese. In Naples, outside of Naples, they use buffalo milk mozzarella which is similar it's got a little tanginess but again it's a fresh cheese what happened over the past hundred years when pizza really started to evolve and become a more a commodity product the cheesemakers started using a processed cheese that contains a lot of oil a lot of additives so years ago when you had your classic new york slice you would fold it and a whole bunch of oil would drip out of it because that's the result of the processed cheese that you had there it's not really cheese it's just manufactured it's like having a slice of uh uh, American cheese or Velveeta, the cheese that you see that's more white, chances are it's a fresh mozzarella made with um, cow's milk. It's not aged, and um, it doesn't have that yellow color because it's not manufactured. It's just a fresh byproduct of cheese. It's usually consumed within one to two weeks of being manufactured. Uh, so better pizzerias will use that fresh mozzarella. It's, it's much more expensive, but it's a high-quality product. It doesn't have that grease. It doesn't have that oil. It doesn't have that salinity that you get from the, the processed mozzarella. Okay, time for a quick break. But when we come back, can a person actually make a living writing about food? Allison Roman will open up and talk about some things that people don't generally talk about. We're going to talk about money and how to make it when you're working for yourself. had a very coveted full-time job at Bon Appetit magazine when she decided to quit and go off on her own. When you left Bon Appetit, I think a lot of people would be like, why would you do that? It's Bon Appetit. It's this amazing job. I've heard you on other shows talking about how much you liked it. Uh, Could you talk about why you decided to leave and, and go out on your own? I think that I just really wanted to have more control over the full picture how I sounded, what the recipes looked like, the kinds of content that I was able to create, and just the freedom. And I think that I had reached a point where there were walls that I was coming up against that was like limiting my own autonomy. And I really sort of craved the like freedom to make decisions about my own career to see how far I could take it on my own without the support of an entire brand, you know? I know. I always wish that I could be more like that, but I'm like, oh, God, insurance. I love having this insurance and this paycheck. So, I know. Insurance rules. Insurance does. I know. And, but I really admire what you did because I always respect people who you know, go off on their own and take a risk. And for you, it totally paid off. And one of the things, if I paraphrase that I've heard you say, is that you would rather struggle and be out on your own, but take a risk and be independent and free uh, rather than working for somebody else. And and I thought that was really cool. And I just wanted you to elaborate on that a little bit. Thank you. It's still challenging at times. And insurance was really nice to have. And now I pay for it myself. And the 401k was really nice to have. But now I have a Roth IRA that I contribute to. And I am still scared. You know, I'm still hustling like I might not make it. I'm still trying to figure out what my plan B is because I don't have one. But I'm so happy. I'm so, so happy for the work that I've done. And what's really been nice is over the past few years, I have other friends around me that have done the same thing and people starting their own businesses and working for themselves and learning how to work together. And it's just really cool to be like, oh, we're in charge of our own careers and our own destiny ultimately, like being able to make the call about my own schedule and the opportunities that I want to 
pursue or turn down or whatever is really empowering. And I hope this isn't too personal. Tell me if it is. But, you know, I know so many people who are trying to make it as food writers and artists. And, you know, have some people have jumped off and done their own thing. You write for The New York Times. You write a column for Bon Appetit and you write cookbooks. Is that enough to make a living as a food writer or do you still have to do other things? Oh, definitely not. I definitely have to do other things. I mean, I could, but I think for me, I live alone. I'm not married. I don't have kids. I rent. I don't own. Like, I have a pretty low overhead in terms of what I would consider, like, making a living. But I still feel like just with writing alone, writing doesn't pay any money, especially for newspapers and magazines. And where the money is is in, like, these dinners that I do for brands or events or you know, different types of collaborations that for like other companies that are interested in getting into the food space. So writing does not pay the bills. I remember when I first got the job as a columnist and I posted my first article, somebody in the comments, who I didn't even know, I was like, oh, you know, announcing my column as a New York Times columnist. And they wrote to their friends, I guess they said, oh, now we know how she affords all those vacations. (laughs) And I was like, oh, honey, it's not from the New York Times. Like, they pay me very fairly and I'm very grateful for what they've given me. It's like above and beyond. But at the same time, whoever thinks that people are making money writing for a newspaper, you have no idea how much a gallon of milk costs. Like that's not where the money comes from. Um, and that's fine. That's not why we do it. And you know, it's like I didn't become a writer so I could make a ton of money. I picked two careers that like were never going to be that lucrative, like media and restaurant work. So I'm sort of digging myself out of that hole now, figuring out how to, actually make some money one day if I ever plan on, you know, buying a home or I don't know. But I think you can definitely make a living. I think it's just that you have to diversify and you have to figure out like not every job I take is something that I'm super passionate about, but I need to make money. But the older I get and the more I work, the more work that I do is is almost always something that I want to be doing. Like I feel very grateful for that. And that was Allison Roman's Last Meal. Allison's new book is for sale now wherever books are sold, but I recommend you go to your favorite local independent bookstore here in Seattle. We have this really amazing cookbook store called Book Larder. So go there. Thanks to Tony Diuto, founder of Stella Hospitality. So if you're in LA and you really want a slice of New York pizza, check out LBKLA in Studio City. And you can find all his restaurants at StellaHospitality.com. Thanks to Paul Arrigo, president of New York Watermaker. If you go to NewYorkWatermaker.com, they have a list of most of the pizzerias and bagel shops that use their filter system. And if you are lucky enough to live in one of those states, please go try the pizza and report back. I really want to know how authentic it becomes and if it tastes like a New York pie. This episode was produced by Laura Scott and me, recorded with Aaron Mason, and our theme music, as always, by Prom Queen. If you're not already following on Instagram, follow along Your Last Meal Podcast. That is where you can message me and tell me all about your pizza adventures. And if you like the show, tell your friends or even better, write a review on Apple Podcasts or Stitcher. These are absolutely free ways that you can support the show. And then we can keep going and keep making shows until we die. I'm Rachel Bell, and this is Your Last Meal. Thanks to Tony Diuto. Diuto. He says it so much better. I'm Rachel Bell, and this is going to take a while. Just kidding. It's not. It's going to be fine, fine, fine. You have to do a talk show. Listen, I'm warming up. Hey, woohoo, woohoo. Okay.